Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for, yes, another episode, and I'm here with a brand new friend of mine, Sheree Davenport. Sheree, thank you so much for making time. I know I've already said it a number of times before we started recording, but thank you again for making time for the Boca Podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It, it is really a privilege. And, and I know that that sounds like kind of the cliche intro that you might hear at other podcasts, but truly, I, I count it a privilege to not only have the opportunity to connect with photographers, uh, you specifically today, Sheree, in our industry, but also the fact that you would make time to, to share with me, to have conversation with me, and then ultimately to share with our listeners, it is a privilege. And so I do appreciate it. But let's just jump right in because we're going we're gonna to get to a topic today that I find pretty interesting. Uh, regarding Pinterest and how to actually use it for your photography business. But uh, let's start first with your business. Whereabouts are you based and what type of photography does your business offer? Sure. So I am in Colorado and I photograph weddings and elopements primarily. I do also have a photography studio here in Colorado where I shoot boudoir, but my main kind of bread and butter is uh, weddings and elopements. Okay, cool. So now this sets me up for my next question, which has to do with brand position. And it, very simply, I mean, if we were to look at the idea, the concept of brand position, it's what sets us apart from our so-called competition, right? What is the, uh, another way to phrase it might be, what is the hill that you stand on? Or another way to put it is if somebody thinks about your brand, what is the, the idea that comes to mind when they hear your brand? So what is your brand position? What sets you apart from all the other wedding photographers there in Colorado? Definitely. Yeah, that's always a hard thing to kind of find your niche or your brand. But I would say, you know, there's so many of us here in Colorado. And there's also a lot of people that will come out to Colorado and shoot weddings and elopements because it's such a beautiful location. But my biggest thing is that I just focus on building strong friendships and relationships with my clients. I don't have this like, ideal wedding that I photograph or this ideal client that looks a specific way. I don't care if they're having this like massive $80,000 wedding at one of the mountain resorts here, or if they're having a $5,000 elopement on the side of a mountain. Um, I just pride myself on the fact that I personally connect with every single one of my couples that's in front of my camera. And that shines through on my website and my social media. It's just all about connecting personally instead of trying to you know, check this specific box of what my couple or their wedding day is supposed to look like. And and that's, I mean, you, you began to kind of answer my question here, which is how do you effectively communicate that idea? I mean, honestly, a lot of photographers talk about this, this idea of the, the focus on relationships and developing relationships with their clients. How do you mm -hmm. communicate that effectively to a potential client? They, they come to your website or they hear about you and, and they're trying to make a decision about what photographer to choose, what would draw them in and help effectively communicate that they're going to get this incredible relationship with their photographer. For sure. Yeah. The biggest piece of my branding is actually the copy on my website. So I hired a professional copywriter to kind of help me, you know, find my voice and communicate my brand through all of these different platforms because I spent so long trying to like curate the way that I came across online. And, you know, I'm 
single. I'm a teen mom. Like I've never been married. I don't really know things about relationships, which is what weddings are all about. So instead of focusing on things like that, I connect with my couples over things like, you know, drinking box wine and listening to true crime podcasts and (laughs) what we both watch on Netflix. So when you go to my website, the first thing it says is that I'm going to use my couple's deposit to buy boxed wine in Chipotle. And like 80% of the time when people inquire with me, they're like, that's hilarious. I love that. We're going to get along. So right off the bat, like, you know, we've established connection over, you know, having a good sense of humor and just being laid back. So I, and this is interesting that you pointed out the clients actually comment on that copy because uh, and this is, I know this is a preferential thing too, but when I go to photographers' websites and I see a lot of copy, I, my eyes kind of start to glaze over. And, and I, I guess the question that I ultimately have is how much time is a potential client going to pay attention to copy? Now, first of all, you've actually taken the time to hire a copywriter. A lot of times photographers will right. <laughs> just kind of blab on and, and I don't know if they just hope that somehow the client is going to connect with them in one way. Maybe it, maybe it works in some cases, but I just wonder in this day and age where people are moving quickly and don't really necessarily have or at least make the time to read how much time they'll actually take to read through a a long explanation about who a photographer is or what they enjoy. I I do notice like that paragraph that references the the box wine and Chipotle. It's the first paragraph there on the homepage. You say, let's keep it real. So it's this big text that kind of draws you in. And then you and then you explain that about the about the wine and Chipotle. But have you? I mean, how many conversations are you having with clients where they specifically reference the copy on your site? A lot of times they mention it in their inquiry form. So my inquiry form is like they have to write me a book when they reach out, and so they okay. I ask them, you know, what drew you to reach out to me, and that's when they pull snippets from my copy. I was definitely one of those like blab on and on about how I love light and romance and mountains and blah, 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 blah. And that loses interest so quickly because every single photographer's website they're going to is saying the same thing. And now they get to mine and I'm like, Hey, let's be transparent. I'm going to drink wine out of a box. I'm going to eat Chipotle. And, you know, here's all the weird things about me, but that's kind of been concise into like a small little blurb right at the top of my website. So they see a photo, but then that's the first thing they read before they kind of dive in deeper. And it sets the tone that like, Hey, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be open. You're going to learn about me. I'm going to learn about you. And we're going to develop a relationship. Well, it reminds me of the the classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which references (laughs) the fact that people are interested not in you, but in themselves, right? And and it's right. a, it's a weird thing. And sure, there are kind of maybe like there's a continuum of of selfishness, if you will, or ego. But the reality is that if you focus on making that person or that potential client feel better, and 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 part of the way that you can go about this is to put something out there that they might be able to effectively relate to, then mm-hmm. that is that is time better served and, and resources better served than, than are spent, I should say, than just going on and on talking about yourself nonstop. Because yeah, really, how much time does a client have to read about you? They're, you know, the, your, your accolades and the things that you accomplish in life, that might be a nice story over a drink at some point, but that's not what they're at your website for. Exactly. Yeah, they want to be able to connect with you. And so I feel like my website definitely you know, helps me stand out as, okay, they're not just working with a business or they're not just talking to another business or just looking for another quote. They're like, oh, hey, I could be friends with this person. 
that sets them apart. And I'm going to choose them as my wedding photographer over this person that's like communicating with, you know, some dry business owner. Hmm. Well, I I don't want to dwell here too long, but I appreciate you yeah. sharing your perspective there. And I think it's I think it's an interesting conversation that needs needs to be had. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, if we're focusing on the client and what it is that they want, what makes them feel good. And, and our effort at designing a website for the sake of capturing a potential client is focused on that. Uh, I think it'll make a, a big, big difference. But anyway, we'll, we'll continue on here. I, how many years have you been in business at this point? I started my business in 2010, which is actually the year that I graduated high school. So wow, no way. Nine years. Yeah. Okay. I'm so still a little bit of a baby, but <laughs> not as much of a baby. No, I think that's great though. Like your perspective, I mean, first of all, you've been in business for a long time, which is exceptional, nine years, but uh, but you also have a younger perspective too. So what is one of the most important things that you've learned as a young photographer that you would share, like the first thing that you would want to share with fellow photographers, a piece of advice, the big lesson that you've learned, what comes to mind? Stop trying to curate who you are to be what you think other people want you to look like and mm. just be yourself. Like people will, there's always somebody that's going to relate to you and you know, you don't have to, act a certain way to have those people find you and connect with you. Was that something that you realized very, very quickly? Did it take some time? Oh, not at all. Yeah, I definitely am the photographer that did it, you know, the wrong way or maybe just not as well for a really long time before I really, you know, found my own and started doing things just on my own road, I guess. So, you know, like putting prices on my website and acting like a person instead of a business owner through my branding. Like that's all stuff that I just started doing in the last like three years that I wasn't doing before. I had a very kind of dry presentation of my business in the beginning. And so it didn't really take off until a few years ago when I started making those changes and stopped trying to be somebody else and started just being my own person. You mentioned prices, putting your prices out there. I'm actually on your the, the pricing uh, page on your site. And by the way, for those of you listening in, you can see Cherie's website. If you just go to Cherie, S-H-A-R-E-E, Davenport, D-A-V-E-N-P-O-R-T.com. And of course, Instagram, we can actually see that, see it at the same place, Cherie Davenport on Instagram. We'll link to both of these in the show notes. But on your pricing page, I'm um, just kind of scrolling through and you've got your wedding collections and then you also have a la carte items and engagement session. But what was the apprehension of putting your prices out there? Why did you wait to do that? I waited because there's so many things in the industry that tell you how to run your business. And a lot of the things I was reading, mm -hmm. it was telling me, oh, don't put your prices out there. You know, build custom packages when people inquire or win them over after they reach out to you. And then once they like you, then tell them your prices and they won't be as afraid to spend their money on you. So that's why I kind of focused my brand about around transparency because I, you know, I put that out there on my website now instead of waiting for them to inquire so that by the time they reach out, they already know my prices they're not price shopping. They've already connected with me and they're already at that point when they reach out instead of having to build that rapport back and forth over 10 to 20 emails after they inquire and then come to find out, you know, I'm not in their budget. Yeah, it's a quick filter. And did you, I mean, how much time, if you were just to kind of guess, how much time have you saved in that kind of communication 
after putting prices up on the website? Oh my gosh, <laughs> so much time. <laughs> yeah. I used, my booking rate was so low compared to what it is now because a lot of people would reach out and they're like, we're just looking for a number. Uh, and then I would give them that number and they're like, okay, that's out of our budget, which would be fine. But I've eliminated that part of the process. And yeah. I've saved myself time and I'm saving them time, which I think people that are planning weddings really appreciate, you know, any extra moment of time that they can get back to do something else. That's great. And I, I think this is, I mean, we could almost stop the podcast right there. Just that piece of advice <laughs> would be valuable enough to put out there for, for all those photographers who don't already do this because really time is of essence and who needs to be an email any more than we already are. And actually, this is a good segue to my next question, which has to do with time. Is there something besides putting your prices on your website that <laughs> enables you to have a little bit more time in your life, not only for yourself, but also for your son? Yeah. So I I definitely try really hard to maintain a good work-life balance. It's always a struggle as an entrepreneur because I really do love working and I love the work that I do. But I tried really hard during the school year to get all of my work done Monday through Friday while my son is at school so that in the evenings and on the weekends, we can, you know, actually have good quality time together without me having my face buried in a phone or a computer. Um, And then during the summer, I just like drink a lot of coffee and like click my heels and wish there were way more hours in a day than there are. But, you know, I'll get to the work-life balance thing during summer eventually. (laughs) But, you know, it, so if your son's at school for, what, seven, six, seven hours, maybe eight hours total? Something like that. Yeah, he goes to school from 8 to 2.30. So okay. math, six, six and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, <maybe>. math. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and, and the reason that I bring this up is it's interesting to consider, you know, if, if we have some type of, well, I guess some element of our life that forces us to get something done in a constricted amount of time, we can likely get it done in that amount of time. You know, I I just recently talked to a photographer who has quite the business and is functioning, is running that business on something like 15 to 20 hours a week. And, uh, you know, that's that's impressive, but it's extremely feasible, especially, and I was a wedding photographer for over 10 years, so I understand the workflow, especially for wedding photographers. I'm not sure what else you would do for another 20, 30, 40 hours a week that some photographers might claim they spend working on their business. If you've got the systems in place, if you force yourself to, to actually focus on the work at hand instead of you know dual or, or multitasking with Netflix in the background or the, the show right. or that movie and whatever, <laughs> like you're actually focused on what you're doing, that you could easily get it done. And I mean, look at your, let's say six hours a day for five days a week, 30 hours, easily get it done in 30 hours. And you could have your evenings and you can have your weekends. I, I think it's great that you prioritize that. But I think this is a good reminder for our listeners too, that, hey, like you can actually have a life and there's really no excuse not to. Um, it's just all in being intentional and then and then taking advantage of the time that you do have to get things done. Exactly. You have to be so intentional and you have to be disciplined. Like if I didn't have my calendar and my to-do lists and my workflows, like the things that I do would take me way longer than it takes me to do them now. So, well, and I have to comment here because I, I, I finished saying that and, and then I'm thinking, you know, there are those who listen to this podcast regularly. There are certain things that I do and that I'm quite repetitive about. Time management is definitely one of them. So we might have, we might have somebody that was listening in. They're like, my word, Nate is always talking about that. Of course, <laughs> I need to, you know, to focus on my work or of course, 
I, I want to have more time in my life. But I would push back and, and say, hey, but I know you're hearing that and you're saying, okay, but what are you actually doing about it? And, and do you actually have the amount of time in your life that you want to right now? And are you actually giving the attention to the significant people in your life, your kids, your romantic partner, other family or friends that you actually want to? Or do you find yourself saying, hey, I'm busy you know, that, that phrase that you so readily hear from photographers so much of the time, I'm busy. Um, do you actually have all the time that you want to? Because you could have more. And, and that's, we spend right. so much time focusing on that here in the podcast, largely because of my personal experience as a business owner and just as a human being, um, I realized the significance of relationships. And the last thing that we want to give up is the time with those relationships, focusing on those relationships. Don't let your business get in the way of that. And it is very possible to have that kind of that kind of time to focus on those relationships. So I will stop ranting about that. I really appreciate your, your perspective. No, I on love that. that. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most impactful business book, self-help book? You know, I should throw in podcasts here. I've had a couple of guests uh, recently who said, you know what? I don't actually read. And of course, then the conversation goes the direction of, well, how do you, how do you learn? Uh, but how, how do you learn, Cherie? And, and what is maybe one of the most impactful sources of learning um, that you've experienced in the last few years? For sure. Yeah. So it's funny because you kind of stole this one right out of my mouth earlier, but I just listened to the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People oh, cool. on Audible. Yeah. By Dale Carnegie. Cause yeah. I'm, I have a hard time reading. I have a hard time sitting down and like flipping through the pages of a book. So I love listening to audiobooks and podcasts when nice. I'm in the car or driving six hours into the mountains for weddings. Like I definitely do the whole audiobook podcasting, but my podcasts that I listen to are not business related. So the most recent business related audiobook that I listened to was that How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is amazing. It is. It's amazing. It's easy to read or listen to. And, and interestingly, it was originally written something like 100 years ago, but the principles innate to that book are, I mean, they're timeless. You know, that the significance of how to or the importance of uh, considering the way that we engage with people. For the sake of making them feel good about themselves, uh, like we were talking about earlier, that is that is a go-to book, and it would certainly exactly. be in the top 10, 20 books that I would recommend to, to somebody off the bat. That is, it, again, it's easy to consume. The principles are immediately applicable, actionable. Definitely recommend it. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. And it's good that you point yeah. out this, the audio books are, you know, we're on the car, we're in the plane, maybe we want to go for a walk, we're not getting enough exercise. The last thing that we need to do is sit for another hour and read a book. We need to get out and move. Well, go for a walk, pop that audio book in and listen. It's a great way to go about getting some exercise and learning at the same time. Definitely. Yeah. And then I, let's let's kind of shift gears a little bit to back to your photography and, and talk a little bit about what is in your camera bag. This has been a fun question as of late <laughs> um, to, to ask, what is the most unusual item in your camera bag? And this does not have to be a camera or a lens that enables you to be a better photographer. Definitely. So this one I had to think about because I'm like, okay, what do I have in my camera bag that's not you know, a camera or a lens. And I <laughs> yeah. actually have these little boutonniere pins in my camera bag. They're called sure pins. Okay. And I was working a wedding once and I'm sure all of us as photographers have had this happen where someone's like, Oh man, I'm a drunk groomsman. I don't know how to pin this boutonniere. And then now it's your responsibility to pin this flower and pin it well. And I was just so awful at pinning these boutonnieres. And then I went to the florist and she had these things called sure pins and you literally okay. like shove one end of the pin up the flower and then the other end of it like 
bows down and it just goes right through the lapel and it like makes the flowers stand up straight. And really? so now I always pull those out and I'm like, I have this magic little bit mirror pin that, you know, a five-year-old could do. <laughs> no way. Okay. So they're called sure yeah, pins. They're awesome. Yes. Oh man. We are, yeah, we're going to find that for sure. Haley does a wonderful job and, and uh, putting our show notes together. We'll link to those in the show notes. So those of you listening in had, that are wedding photographers and don't have a sure pin, grab one of these. You know, I, I shot weddings for over 10 years and I sadly and, and ashamedly say that I never did actually effectively learn how to put a boutonniere on very well, <laughs> if at all. It's really. hard. Yeah, yeah, but this is, man, anything to, to make life easier. That's really cool. Okay, sure pin. We'll put that in the show notes. For those of you listening in, Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. Check out the show notes for the resources that uh, we discussed today in the show notes, that the points of conversation, all of that there, bocapodcast.com. Let's jump to our topic. Speaking of, we are going to talk about Pinterest. And I know I sent you this note ahead of time, Sheree, and I'll say it again here on air. I like Just to be honest, I would not, if I was a photographer right now, I would not be rushing to Pinterest for the sake of leveraging the platform to get new clients right now. Because I, in my mind, and, and I may be out of touch in one form or another, but I just don't hear a lot about Pinterest. And, and you suggested talking about Pinterest and, of course, ultimately how to use Pinterest as a platform, not just to put up pretty pictures but to, or you know gain followers or be a, a, quote, influencer, but to actually get new clients. So I'm curious on multiple levels about this conversation and your perspective on the topic Tell me first how Pinterest is actually doing great things for your business. So like what kind of specific tangible results are you seeing uh, as far as the, the clients that you're getting or the traffic to your web that it's generating to your website? How, how has Pinterest been benefiting you? So this is going to sound so cliche, but Pinterest changed my life. Like, wow. Before I started using Pinterest, I was not generating enough traffic to my website. I was not generating enough leads and I wasn't making enough money to leave my corporate job. And I started using Pinterest not that long ago. I started using it in November of 2017. And I was able to leave my corporate job in May of 2018 because of the income that I generated really? from gaining clients from Pinterest. So, you know, you mentioned that it's not at the forefront of your mind when you think about marketing your business, yeah. which is the same for a lot of other photographers. So it's one of the least saturated platforms as far as marketing your business. So you have less people to compete against for showing up, yeah. which is right out of the gate. <laughs> well, it reminds me of, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of Gary for multiple reasons. And, and I'll mention him from time to time here in the podcast. But one of the things that he talks about is the significance of going where, going to a platform when the getting is good, if you will. So, you know, he talks about how early in his career, he utilized YouTube to build his build wine library or to build his to help build his family's liquor store. And mm -hmm. used used well, YouTube certainly, but then also Google AdWords when they were really cheap. Like you could buy wine, the word wine for you know five cents a click or something insane like that, and was oh, able the to. Good days. <laughs> and well, yeah, exactly. And but utilize a platform that wasn't extremely uh, busy uh, or that that wasn't overly saturated, and leverage that platform in order to get clients. And you know he's he's talked in in more recent times about the significance of Facebook and Instagram influencers and utilizing those platforms, those resources, while you still can do so at, at a reasonable price point. But 
that's so right. that, that's what it reminds me of. But when I think about Pinterest, again, I think about somebody saying that they pinned a pretty picture or that, you know, someone going to Pinterest to get an idea for how to go about decorating their house or planning for a party. I understand that photographers use it to post pictures as well. But could you maybe just break this? I know we're going to get to some some key principles for effectively utilizing Pinterest here in just a little bit. But can you kind of walk us through how you set up Pinterest at that point, what the interactions with clients look like, how you actually got them to your website? I'd love to understand the process a little more. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest thing with Pinterest is everybody immediately compares it to these other social media platforms, right? Like Instagram and Facebook and yeah. All of those things, but that, you know, you got to get that out of your mind immediately because hmm. Pinterest does not behave like a social media platform. Okay. Like you said, people use it to find inspiration. So we want to use it as a search engine because we just need to be found. We need to be seen. So as soon as you start using Pinterest not to interact with other people or to pin recipes or home decor or makeup or, you know, all the things that we look for for inspiration on Pinterest and actually start putting your work out there for people to find that are looking for inspiration for their own wedding. That's when, you know, you really start using the platform the right way is treating it like a search engine rather than a social media platform. Okay. So I, I'm not sure that I've ever heard anyone quite sum it up that way, which is really fascinating. Do you, do you think that, or do you know from your experience that clients look at it the same way, or is this as photographers, we should look at it, look at it as a marketing tool as a search platform, or maybe, I guess maybe the obvious answer is it's a combination of both, but is that how clients are actually using it? They're going to search for photographers on Pinterest? So they aren't necessarily searching for their photographer when they get onto Pinterest, but they're searching for content to inspire them for their wedding. So say they're getting married at a specific venue here in Colorado, they're going to look up photos of weddings at the Stanley Hotel And then when your work comes up over and over and over again for all of these different locations, that's immediately brand awareness. So they're seeing your content now on Pinterest every time they type in a phrase relevant to their own wedding. So, and then how do you, how does Pinterest go about ranking the the search results there? Like, how do you make sure that you have content relevant to that particular venue or this particular florist or whatever it might be and make sure that you're at the top? Yeah, so Pinterest actually shares a very similar search engine results page with Google. So the way that your content comes up on Pinterest is similar to the way it would come up on Google. So if they type in, you know, a specific key phrase like Colorado wedding, then if your photo has that phrase attached to it, it's going to show up somewhere in that search result. And if somebody scrolls past it, that's considered an impression. Same with Google. So all somebody has to do is scroll past your content. And then that tells the search engine, which in this case is Pinterest, that this content is relevant for that specific phrase. And so you bump up a little bit higher in the search results. And then again, and then again, and then again, for every keyword that you have affiliated with the photo. So it's not like on Instagram where you really have to sit down and like, plan out this thought provoking caption about a couple frolicking through a meadow. (laughs) You want to talk to your audience like you're talking to a robot because you are, you're talking to a search engine. So instead of saying, Oh, Jack and Jill are in love. They got married, blah, 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 blah. You want to say Colorado wedding, Colorado wedding at this venue. 
Colorado wedding ideas, Colorado wedding inspiration. Those are the kinds of things that you put in your caption on Pinterest as opposed to the way we caption things on other platforms. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, I'm just gonna do this live here as we're talking. I'm, I'm I've got my laptop pulled up, and I want to go to Pinterest and and look like the the naive individual that I am, and and just kind of Perfect. experience this because I, I'm I'm really curious firsthand. I mean, I've it's been a while since I've been on Pinterest. What this would actually look like. So if I would go, so I'm, I pulled up Pinterest. I've logged in. I searched Colorado. Uh, let's see if I can actually spell Colorado wedding photographer. <laughs> And, and I just hit enter. Now I'm going to see a lot of different pictures pop up here. And so this initially is a, and actually let's get more specific. You said Colorado wedding photographer, like in type in a venue there too. Like how, how would. Yeah. So put in the name of a specific venue. So type in like the Stanley hotel or um, Wedgwood Wedgwood venues are huge in Colorado. So like Wedgwood, Boulder Creek, Donovan Pavilion, really just the name of any venue and then the word Colorado, because that's usually where people start, right? They're not using Pinterest from the gate and looking for a vendor. They're looking for inspiration for their wedding. So they're going to type in the name of their venue, maybe the mountain pass where they're getting married, things like that. Huh. Okay. So uh, I typed in, let's see, we've got Colorado Hotel, uh, actually Colorado Stanley. It, it For some reason, it keeps kicking me around yes, Stanley, Hotel. Stanley Hotel. Okay. <laughs> that was in Estes Park. That's a huge one for local and destination weddings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I got it here. So I've I've done a search and now I'm I'm scrolling through and I'm seeing initially a lot of just kind of pictures of the Stanley Hotel. And then I see a photographer here and we won't name names, but I see a photographer's work pop up. And if I actually click on that, um, then I'm I'm seeing there is a caption underneath that briefly describes, but it does, it looks more like, like keywording for a website than it does a, a pretty caption like you'd see on Instagram. Exactly. And that's why they're showing up towards the top. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, does this process, I mean, the, the keywording itself, does it help at all to do any, to fill in metadata, for example, in Lightroom so that you have that metadata associated with that or the appropriate metadata associated with that image for the sake of keywording you still have to manually add in the keywords there on pinterest after the fact so there's actually multiple places that you can add it in to kind of speed up your workflow so i add my keywords in on the back end of my website in okay. alt text when i blog so they're affiliated with the photo there but you can also do this in lightroom you can do this in blog stomp you can do it in narrative you can do it on the back end of WordPress, the back end of Squarespace, or you can do it right on Pinterest. For the benefits of SEO, I always encourage people to do it on the back end of your website first so that you're hitting it for Google and Pinterest instead of only doing it on Pinterest. Smart. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we could continue down that road because it seems like there's a bit of technique here, but I know that we have relatively limited time. So I want to get to kind of the bigger principles that are driving what you're doing, utilizing Pinterest as a platform, as I said, not just to get some likes and, and to have a following, but ultimately to drive traffic to your site and get clients. So I know that you have some principles uh, to share with regards to effectively using Pinterest, and I'm just going to let you kind of take the mic and, and run with it. Sure, absolutely. So I definitely use Pinterest a lot differently than you'll see people recommend that you use it when you search online. Okay. So the biggest rule that kind of everyone is aware of right now with Pinterest is this 80-20 rule. So 
90% of the education you find out there on Pinterest, it tells you to pin 80% of other people's content and then 20% of your own. So when I say pinning yours versus someone else's, that means that you're pinning 80% of content that backlinks to a website that isn't yours. And then only 20% of what you're pinning actually backlinks to your own website. So I want that rule to go away because it is only beneficial if you are a blogger or an influencer, because that's when your numbers matter. That's when likes and followers and things like that matter the most is when you're an influencer. But in order to generate actual traffic to your website, you don't need clicks and likes and saves. You need traffic. So you just want people to see your content. So when I talked to you about impressions earlier, your primary goal when you start using Pinterest is just for your work to be seen and seen towards the top of the search result. And so for it to be seen as an impression, and then the more you're seen, the more they'll click, and then they'll end up clicking through to your website, which is where you pull them in through your branding and your copy, and then you get them to actually inquire with you, which is where you're generating that lead. So again, going back to the the interface here on Pinterest, unlike Instagram or Facebook, where you know the, the opportunity to like a, a post, for example, is front and center, that there well there simply isn't that feature, and instead the, the focus, as you said, is ultimately on just simply impressions initially. Exactly. Yep. So your goal on Pinterest is just for people to your content to be keyworded appropriately to where people are scrolling past it. The more that they see your content in their search results, the more likely they are to end up clicking and going all the way through to your website. So I always tell people right off the bat, like, if you are like a Pinterest newbie, you haven't done anything with it at all. I'm sure your account right now is like riddled with home decor and recipes, just like everybody else's is, <laughs> yeah. go on your account, convert it to a business account, okay, and then get rid of anything that doesn't backlink to your website. Delete it, make it a secret board, because you should only be sharing content that funnels people over to your website. Huh. That's really, really good. Okay. Now, and you, you mentioned keywording there in, again in passing, and actually that was really kind of the first principle behind how to effectively leverage Pinterest was keywording. And and let me actually go back to that just very quickly. That with keywording, is there, are there a particular number of words that, is there a minimum, a maximum, kind of an ideal range? And how do you effectively Definitely. go about choosing those words? So there is a 500 character limit, okay. which is the same character limit that you have for alt text on the back end of your website. So basically the search engine results page only reads the first 500 characters of captions, alt text, everything. So I use a word counter. I literally just use wordcounter.net, but you can use a word document, whatever you want. And then I just type in my phrases separated by commas until it tells me I've hit 500 characters. And and then as far as the choice of words, I mean, is it as simple as just, you know, I mean, I, I look at this particular post right now that I've got pulled up and it's very much location-based. There's also a reference to photographer. How complicated is it or is it relatively logical when it comes to choosing the words? So really, when you're choosing your keywords, you want to make sure you're choosing phrases that your potential client is searching. So that's why you want to type in things like multiple variations of how people are looking for you. So Colorado wedding photographer would be a great keyword, but you also want to use phrases like 
Colorado Wedding at the Stanley Hotel or Colorado Wedding Ideas or Places to Elope in Colorado. All of these different phrases for the market that you're going for. So I only shoot in Colorado now. I don't travel to other locations. Okay. So I always tell people when you're captioning something, pick a phrase that's relevant to the photo and relevant to the market that you want to work with. So if you're shooting a wedding in Texas, then your keywords are going to be relative to the Texas market and the vendors that worked at that wedding. And you just have to be specific accordingly. That's, that's good. And it's simple enough. I mean, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I'm impressed really by the simplicity of this model. If I was a wedding photographer, you already have me convinced of, of the significance of the platform. Definitely. We talked about keywording. Uh, we talked about getting rid of this, this 80, 20 rule myth, if you will, and then I know you've got another principle that ha- that ties to, again, actually getting clients. It, it's one thing to to have a following. That's cool. You want to be popular. If that's your end game, you know, I guess more power to you. But for those of us who have photography businesses that we actually want to grow, we want to create a sustainable living. We need clients. We need traffic to our site. Right. For those of us that want to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. Yeah. <laughs> How do we go about getting those kinds of clients using Pinterest then? So it's all about that funneling them through to your website. So if you're, you basically want to have your content, encourage them to click through to land on your website. So think of it in a sense that like we're all using Pinterest for right now. You're looking for a recipe, right? And you're lazy. So you don't want to cook for more than 30 minutes. So you jump on Pinterest and you're like, oh, meal ideas that you can make in 20 minutes or less. And then you see a photo of a meal and you're like, I want to cook that meal. What do you do? You click in the middle of the photo so that it takes you to the website where it shows you how to cook that meal. You want to encourage the same behavior with the photos that you're sharing. So you want to show a single photo from a venue at this wedding. And with rich pins, your keywords are your caption, but it shows you a little blurb of what it backlinks to, which should be on your website. So they'll immediately see like a little snippet about a wedding at the Stanley Hotel so that they click through to then see all of the photos in that blog post from that wedding at the venue where they're getting married. And I'm, I'm looking actually, so I jumped to your your page. Uh, you, you, you talked about the significance of them, of course, actually getting them to click on the link. And mm-hmm. not only are you having them just simply go to your website, uh, in this particular post, it's a recent post from April 23rd, it says Z and K had a beautiful chandelier barn wedding at Lionsgate Event Center. So, and, and what's really interesting to me, I don't know if this is because I haven't logged into Pinterest for a while, but I'm, look, I'm on that page and Pinterest literally has this blue circle blinking at me around the URL uh, for your website yep. there, that, reminding me, you need to click on this URL, which is brilliant. I, I think that's great. Like totally trying to, to send traffic your way. And then instead of just simply linking them to directly to the homepage of your website, you're actually linking them to a blog post so that they get to see even more from that event, right? Exactly. So every single photo that I pin, I pin directly from one of my blog posts because you want what they go to to be relevant to what they're looking for. If they, if someone were to click on a photo and it just takes you to a homepage, yeah. they're going to lose interest and they're going to leave if they don't see more of what they're looking for. Right. So I always, all of my pins backlink directly to a blog post with the full wedding day from that wedding. And and uh, I also, now I'm clicking on more, and I'm not sure why it's not dropping down right now, but it looks like just by default, you already have more keywords going on here than 
uh, what I saw in the other photographer's post. So so props to you for that. Are you usually going all the way to that that 500 keywords? I max it out. Max Every it out. Time. Okay. Yeah, I go all the way up to 500. And then as soon as I see my little word counter tell me I'm over 500 characters, I just delete the last phrase and yeah. keep it as close to that max as possible because it's more opportunities for you to be seen. So always max it out. But you bring up an interesting point when when it comes to actually linking someone to your site being very, very specific. So they're actually seeing, as you pointed out, what they want to. I mean, I honestly, I've been guilty of this too, running ads for my business where not altogether, like just kind of automatically doing so, but ultimately not taking the time to create a landing page that is specific to whatever ad content we're running, we're just sending them to the homepage. And you're right. If they're not, if you're sending them to a homepage and they're landing on content that, that is irrelevant to what they were looking at, and ultimately they may not even they're be interested in, then yeah, exactly. They, they go away more quickly. So linking them to right. content specific to that individual post um, is a great piece of advice. Definitely. Yeah. I always use the kind of recipe pin as a good example for that too, because say you found that recipe or supposedly of that chicken that you want to make for dinner, and then you click through to find the actual instructions to cook it. And it takes you to foodnetwork.com. Are you actually going to spend the time it takes to dig through and find that specific recipe? Or are you going to leave and look for something that's going to take you right to the information that you need? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it would be annoying to end up in that situation for sure. Exactly. (laughs) So now I'm looking at your Instagram account. You've got 4,800 followers on Instagram. Uh, On your Pinterest account, it shows that you have 51, almost 52,000 monthly viewers, which is really, really impressive. How how much traffic and actually I should ask first how are you going about tracking traffic from Pinterest to your website Do you have a, a system that you've established for that purpose Definitely so analytics are very important when you're utilizing Pinterest because you want to pay attention to the traffic to your website and not just your monthly viewers on Pinterest So Pinterest it's very easy for content to go viral like as soon as something really picks up it'll be shown to a bunch of people and you could go from having 500,000 monthly viewers and then you fall outside of that 30 day range and you drop down to 20,000 monthly viewers and then up to 60 and back and forth. So that number, it, you know, you need to have some sort of monthly viewer traffic, but the number that really matters is the number of people that are going to your website. So I actually use Google analytics for that. They have a nice little acquisition section and it tells you, these are the number of people on a monthly basis that came to your website from, and then it talks about Google, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and all of those different channels. Yep. And I get about 2,000 monthly visitors from Pinterest. That's 2,000 unique visitors? Exactly. Wow. Unique visitors. It's my lowest bounce rate for all of the different channels. So it drives the most traffic, which in turn boosts your website for Google as well. Because it's like, oh, so many people are landing on this website we're going to show it higher up in the rankings for all of these specific search terms. How interesting. And by the way, for those of you listening in who aren't familiar with the term bounce rate, we're basically just talking about somebody coming to the homepage or to whatever page you send them to. And then they're like, I'm not interested. And they leave right away. Correct? Exactly. Yep. So it's just how quickly they leave and whether or not they click through to other sections of your website. Right, right. And and by the way, for those of you, if you're, if you're not using any kind of analytics, Google is a great place to go for obvious reasons when it comes to, to search engine. But 
also because they've continued to develop the platform and it's they've cleaned it up and it's a little bit easier to actually use and engage with. So if, if you don't have analytics plugged into Google Analytics plugged into your website, get on that. It doesn't that doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> which is which is brilliant. And and you know, data we, we can't emphasize enough the significance of data and understanding data and numbers. You don't have to be a mathematician to understand I mean, really, the way that Google in particular has it set up is very easy. As you pointed out, Shri, you go to the acquisition section and you can look and see where your traffic's coming from. It's pretty straightforward. But then you can make intelligent decisions about your website and your marketing efforts based on that actual data versus just kind of guessing here and there. Exactly. Marketing efforts is huge. That just like brings it back to what do you do to save time? Like, pay attention to your analytics because why are you dumping all of this time into posting a photo on Instagram every day, for example, if Instagram is only driving five people to your website every month. Yeah, that's, and you know, this is an interesting point of conversation because it's something very real to me right now. We're we're looking at data really more than, than we ever have at Photographer's Edit specifically and trying to make decisions, intelligent decisions about the direction that we go with our marketing, the, the services that we offer, how we're drawing in clients or potential clients. But again, if you were doing that blindly without actual data, without looking at client behavior, it's going to take you much longer to get to a good place than if you're actually utilizing scientific data. And, and we have easy access to it in 2019. So there's really no reason not to take advantage. And if there's any question about how to use it, you can always get with your web developer and they can they can help you get that kind of thing set up. Just very quickly in closing, Sheree, I'm, I'm curious again for further perspective and context of the conversation, what percentage, I mean, I know that you literally, I mean, this is such a cool story that you were literally able to leave your job and go full-time with photography because of Pinterest. What percentage of your your work right now that you're booking would you say comes through Pinterest? So 80% of the weddings that I book come from. Oh, my word. Yeah. That's amazing. It's insane. It still feels so weird to just like think about and talk about it. Like my life has literally changed because of this. I can't stress that enough. And like sharing my story is, is crazy because I'm a single mom. I had my son when I was a teenager. So even, you know, I was able to gross six figures before I started using Pinterest in 2017. But my net was nothing close to that. And in 2018, I grossed over a quarter of a million dollars. I was able to leave my corporate job. I'm buying a single family home by myself for my son and I. Like, it really did like change everything. That is amazing. I mean, I, I would have been impressed if you'd said, you know, even like 30 or 40 percent, but 80 percent. That's incredible. 80 percent. Well, I, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I have to say that this has been one of the most kind of practical, actionable conversations that we've had here on the podcast as of late. I mean, there's there's just you, you obviously know what you're talking about and you're not just making it up. You're actually living it. And, and I have just incredible amounts of respect for that. I really appreciate you making time to share what is, I know, a massive topic, and we only kind of skim the surface. How can our our listeners go about getting in contact with you, or at least following what you do online if they've got more questions or just want to see what you're doing with your brand? Yeah. So the perks of having the most unique name in the world, if you Google or Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever, my full name, just Cherie Davenport, that's my username or my handle on every platform. So cool. my website is CherieDavenport.com. My Instagram is Cherie Davenport. Same with Facebook and Pinterest. Um, and yeah, you can just reach out on really any platform and I'll 
I'll be there. <laughs> That's really great. And I have to ask too, because again, this has been so beneficial. Um, do you have any resources for photographers that you, or, or workshops that you're going to be teaching this information at in a little bit more detail in the future? So I just recently guest spoke for Hustle and Flow and then again at Evolve, but it's almost wedding season. So I won't be guest speaking for a while. Um, I do have one-on-one mentorships that I offer for Pinterest. Okay. Those are currently booking out in October and November of this year. Wow. Um, and then I have a do it for me option as well. For those of you that are also going into wedding season strong and don't have the time available, yeah. I do have a workflow and a system set up to where I do this for other photographers rather than teaching them how to do it. That's really incredible. All right. Well, you all listening in have the contact info here. So Take advantage. Sheree, this has been truly lovely. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca podcast today. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nathan. Have a good one. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>